thank you all for being here. For those of you who can't be with us in body uh, and are here with us online, uh, we're glad you're with us and just pray that the Lord has blessed you uh, this week. Jeremy Curley's here, so we can get started. That's a good deal. Uh, our announcements this week, uh, Deacon of the Week is Brother Scott McDowell. Uh, his number is printed for you there in our uh, announcements, so if you need Brother Scott, please uh, let him know. Uh, other than that, I just want to make sure that you're aware that we will be having our uh, Easter sunrise service on the 4th. Uh, we will have that service beginning at 7.30. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, Fess has assured me that uh, there will be a, a big breakfast uh, after sunrise service. And then after our sunrise service, we'll go into our regular uh, service. Um, the week after, uh, which will be Sunday the 11th, uh, there'll be only snacks only uh, over there as we'll have several folks uh, who will be with us on the, uh, the marriage retreat. Uh, so just maybe want to come prepared for not having the, uh, the big breakfast like we normally do on the 11th. Uh, other than that, uh, our announcements have pretty well stayed the same. Uh, of course, we've got everything going on on Wednesday night. Uh, with our prayer meeting here uh, in the uh, sanctuary, our children, uh, all that uh, going on over in the CLC tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll still be having our grand story of uh, God as we walk through the Bible. And then uh, Pastor Michael has been told uh, to make sure that uh, even though this is far, far, far in advance, that Pastor Appreciation Sunday is October 3rd. And someone wanted that uh, uh, announced, so we are definitely doing that. Uh, my last announcement I want to call uh, your attention to is disaster relief training uh, will be April 22nd through the 24th uh, in Hudson, North Carolina. My guess is that's probably going to be First Baptist uh, Hudson if I'm, if I'm guessing at it. But uh, I think that's all the announcements that I have for you. Uh, if you would, please, let's stand and let's greet one another in the Lord.
Well, good morning. Who's that? Who's, who's talking to us back there? All right. All right. Um, this morning's uh, scripture reading comes from Psalm 51. And uh, my prayer for, for myself is that this, we could make this our, my daily prayer, I think. And um, listen to God's word as I read it this morning. To the choir master, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you, <clears throat> that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you, Lord, first of all, thanking you for your love. A love that we, uh, we can't fully comprehend as human. A love that is everlasting and unwavering. Lord, we thank you for that. And for your grace that you extend to us on a daily basis, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word this morning, you would open our minds and speak to our hearts, Father, that your uh, spirit would move. Father, would you convict where you need to convict? And Father, just as David wrote, would you cleanse us? Would you cleanse us from our sins? Father, I thank you for this time we gather. I pray that you would bless the offerings and tithes that are given today. Lord, I pray for those that are sick and hurting, those that are can't be with us. Lord, I pray for those that are caring for, for loved ones as well during this time. God be with our pastors. He brings your word. Speak to us this morning, Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John, stand this morning as we worship together.
Before I took a breath You breathed your life in me You have been so, so kind to me Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found Leaves the night and I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God When I was your foe Still your love far from me You have been so, so good to me When I felt no worth You paid it all for me You have been so, so kind to me Oh, the overwhelming Love of God. 
In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From the throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. To reveal the kingdom coming And to reconcile the lost To redeem the whole creation You did not despise the cross For even in your suffering You saw to the other side Knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died So pray Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. And the morning that you rose all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born and the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of all shall not kneel and shall not faint in his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me so praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings, and we'll sing praise forever to the King.
pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. We thank you that we can gather this morning, that we can worship you. We can do so in spirit and in truth. We can do so knowing that you, you are our God. You are our creator. You have made us and given us life. Call us to Yourself through the power of Your Son. And for that, for that this morning we are so very grateful. Thankful that You have saved us from our sin. Called us Your own. And given us new life. God, we pray this morning for many who are sick sick within our own church, those who are unable to be with us this morning because of that. Sickness that we see throughout our community, people who are hurting lives that have been turned upside down. God, we just pray for healing. We pray for your comfort, for your strength. God, we would, we would just ask this morning that those who are feeling abandoned or lonely, those who feel hopeless this morning would know the power of your presence, the comfort of your spirit. God, we ask that you would help us as a church to continue to be light in darkness. God, we know that in the times we live, it is so easy to be discouraged. God, we feel that discouragement often. God, we would just pray that, that, God, you would encourage us. Encourage us as we go. Prepare us for the work ahead. Challenge us. Challenge us to live for you, following your word, living in your strength. God, as we, as we hear your word this morning, God, challenge our heart. Let us see, God, how we should live in light of, of the world around us. God, help us to be obedient. Obedient to your word, obedient to your commands. Let us never grow weary of serving you and worshiping you and following you. But God, help us. Help us to be your children as you've called us to be. Both today as we worship. And as we go from this place, we pray this morning in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he walked 
darkness, Father God, you were there. That thousands of years ago, Father God, you foresaw our need for a Savior. That you knew that there was no other way. And that you were willing to sacrifice everything for us. Father God, let us not forget the debt that we owe you, Father God, for what you sacrificed. This morning we pray that as a small token of our obedience, of our faithfulness, Father God, that we would allow you to permeate 
the hardened heart that is inside of us all, that you would allow your spirit to grow new life inside of us, that you would allow us to be a changed people, one that desires your will to flow through our lives. Father God, we recognize our need for you, that we are utterly lost without you, Father God, that there was just darkness and a sensation of being lost, totally and utterly lost. So we thank you for that light. We thank you for that new way of living, and we pray this morning that you would continue just to work in your church, Father God, that you would let us be your hands, that you would help us to be your feet, and that we would go and spread the message, Father God, for you. Father, we love you, and we worship you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. All right, if you're going to Children's Church, you head with Miss Rachel. Lily and Adeline. Don't forget Liam. He's coming. It's my Lord, that's one of my favorite sports memories is yelling at your son to run in T ball. Because run Liam just flows well when you're yelling it across the field. And uh Every time I see your kid, that's what I want to yell, run, Liam, run, because we said it so, so many times. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. As we continue through Acts this morning, we find a, a dramatic shift take place. We've seen in the last several chapters a significant amount of joy. We've seen where many people have come to follow Christ. In particular, we've seen over these last several chapters where where people who were once thought to be far away from God, even too far away from God, have come to know Him. God is doing something extraordinary in the church there in Acts chapter 9 and 10, 11. The church is growing. People are excited. Great work is being done. We even find as we end in chapter 11 that, that this new church there in Antioch, this, this new church full of people who were once far away from God, this new church is so dedicated to the mission that God has for them that they commit themselves to sending an offering to another church, a poorer church, a church that is struggling 
in a time of crisis. That's how much the Lord is doing. That's how great His work is. And yet, what we realize is that when God is doing great things in a church, there are going to be consequences. Because the world does not love to see God doing great things. The world is against God doing great things. The the world, the secular world, is committed, firmly committed to stopping the good things of God. And so out of this time of joy comes a time of great sorrow. And this should not be unexpected. As we look at this passage this morning, I I want you to think about particular realities that the church faces, that the church deals with when faced with persecution. We'll look at six of them after we read the text. These realities that are true when the church faces persecution persecution. If you're able this morning, I invite you to stand with me as we reverence God's Word together. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but Motioning to them, he said with his hand to be silent. 
He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now the day came when there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God, not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. You may be seated. What are the realities that we find in this passage when the church is faced with persecution? The first thing we see is that the persecution of God's people brings joy to the ungodly. We've got to remember the context. Great things are happening. And one of the things in particular that no doubt drew the anger of the Jewish leaders was that the church now contained Gentile members. The church that had previously and at its start had been full of Jewish people who had called on and claimed Christ to be the Messiah was now full of Gentile people who did not reflect the religion and the values of the Jewish people in this area. And so no doubt they are angry about that and many other things And so the time came that as they're angry and as they're wanting something to take place, they're, they're wanting action to be taken by Herod the king. He lays, as this graphically describes, violent hands on some who belong to the church. In particular, he kills James, the brother of John. Now we'll see James mentioned later in this passage that is a, another James that the report is to go to. But here, we remember that throughout the Gospels, Jesus had a close relationship with Peter, with James, and with John. Those three saw amazing things happen. They were there in the garden with Jesus. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there when He raised the dead. And while James is not the first to be killed for his faith, he is the first of the apostles to die. And when Herod the king lays violent hands on him and puts him to death with the sword, he saw that this very thing pleased the crowds. And if you look at the history of this King Herod, which is not the King Herod we remember from Jesus' birth, This is his grandson who is now ruling, but his rule is fragile. And he is always looking for something to keep the people happy 
so that he makes those ahead of him, including in particular Caesar, happy so that he can keep his rule. And when he kills James with the sword, he finds out that this pleased the Jews, we read in verse 3. And so because it pleased the Jews, he decides, well, if I killed him and that made him happy, if I go arrest that fisherman, the leader of this motley crew, this man who preaches this word that they so hate, if I arrest him and put him to death, they will love me. And so he arrests Peter. He seizes him and puts him in prison. And he is well guarded. His intention is that when the Passover is over, he will bring him out and put him to death like he did James. And they will love him. One commentator on this passage observes that that when James was killed, it seems to be quick, but there seems to be a goal with Peter to parade him out and have a huge trial and make the people exceedingly happy. Why? Why would this occur? Well, we need to realize that the persecution of God's people brings joy to the ungodly. The thought of the ungodly is if we will simply silence God's people... They will no longer be able to cause us trouble. Because what did the Jewish leaders observe? They observed that Peter's message and John's message and James' message and the message of the early church was causing people to follow Jesus. The message was so powerful that they were losing their authority. Remember, it had been their belief not many years ago if they put Jesus to death, that would stop the problem. If we put Jesus to death, we'll no longer have to worry about these people. We won't have to worry about this so-called Messiah. But they put Jesus to death, and the church grew. They put Jesus to death, and many began to follow him. They put Jesus to death, and these fishermen and tax collectors and lowlifes that were his followers continued to preach his message. And now it was not dozens, it was not hundreds, it was thousands who followed after him. And so if we kill Peter and we kill James and we kill the others, the message will have to stop. Friends, that continues to be the thought today. There are places all over our world where Christians are persecuted and killed at a higher rate today than it ever before in history. They're killed for their faith. And why do they do this? Because it brings joy. And trust me, I use that term very loosely. But it brings joy to those who are ungodly. Why do you think that there is an attempt today in our own culture to remove any connection that our country has had, does have, or will have with the Christian faith. It's because the Christian voice is the voice against sin in the world. It's the voice against ungodliness. And so the thought is if we will persecute that voice and silence that voice, it will bring us joy because then as the secular age wants, we can do whatever we like. 
There'll be no one there to push back. Friends, this is a sign of the ungodliness of our time. That the persecution of God's people brings joy to the ungodly. And we see that happening day in and day out. What it should remind us is this is a reality. A reality of persecution. And it should cause us to have our strength renewed. Not to be beaten down and not to be downtrodden, but to have our strength and our resolve as believers renewed. It would have been easy here for all of those who observed what went on to run away and give up, right? You've just seen James killed with the sword. Now Peter is in prison, likely to be next. It would be easy to run away, but they don't. And we must have that same type of resolve. Are we, when the time comes to make a decision, are we ready to do so? Are we ready to stand firm following after Christ? Or will we give in and run away? You notice that, that it's not those in the, the mainline denominations, the old mainline Protestant denominations who, who are constantly attacked for their faith. Why? Because they gave in a long time ago. They've embraced the secular culture. You'll hear from their pulpits this morning things that affirm the sin that God has rejected. But if we are to stand upon His Word, we need to realize that that will come with a cost and a price. Because it brings joy to the ungodly to persecute God's people. Second reality we see. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. This is a phrase that was coined by Oswald Chambers. Prayer is the greater work. What do we see? Verse 5. What are they doing? So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, there are some who would see this and say, why didn't they do something? Why, why didn't they go and, and try to break him out of jail? You know, there were quite a few of them. They could have went and, and risked it. Peter was worth risking their lives over. They could have went and tried to break him out of jail. Surely they would not let the leader of their church sit in jail with his execution pending and not do something. And yet what we realize is they, they did do something. They did the most powerful thing that they have as believers to do. They prayed. Not only did they pray when he is in prison at the beginning, but if you look ahead to verse 12, they are still praying. When, when Peter gets out of prison and he comes, many are gathered together in the house of Mary and they were praying. They're praying for him. They're praying that God would work in this situation. They're praying that God would do a mighty thing in their midst. It is not simply about praying he would get out. 
It's not simply that they, they wish he was free. But the Bible tells us that they are praying because that was the best thing that they could do. It was not because they were powerless. But it was because they were powerful. I think we too often look at prayer and think, well, I guess we could try that. You know, we, we want to start out with some type of action. It's ironic because that was Peter's first instinct when Jesus was arrested, right? Remember Garden of Gethsemane? Judas comes with the soldiers. What happens? Peter, does he drop to his knees and begin to pray when Jesus is being arrested? No, he pulls out a sword and cut off a guy's ear. That's action, right? We would see that and go, see, look, he, he stood up to them. He, he stood up to those who were trying to arrest and, and persecute Jesus. And yet Jesus tells him, no. Jesus heals the guy that is arresting him. What had Jesus been doing before the arrest came? He had been praying. He had been, he had been participating in the greater work. The disciples had fallen asleep, right? He went back to them several times in the Garden of Gethsemane and they had fallen asleep. But Jesus committed himself to praying. And how amazing it is as the church has grown. They've grown in number and they've grown in their understanding of the Lord. Their first instinct is not to pull out the sword and go save Peter as Peter had tried to do. Their first instinct is to pray. Friends, what do we need to be doing about what's going on in our country? There might be a whole list of things. But we start with prayer. Do we need to, to be engaged in what's going on in our culture? Sure, I, I believe so. Should you go vote? Yeah, certainly. Should you call our leadership in, in, our, in our community and in our country and, and, and tell them where you stand? No doubt. But friends, it's not that we do all of those things and if they don't work and then we pray. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the first thing. Prayer is the first priority and the continual priority and the final priority. Prayer is that important for us as believers. We start and we end with prayer. The church, when Peter is arrested, they commit themselves to praying. And they don't stop. They pray when he's arrested. They pray all the way up to the moment where he is released. They became people of prayer, and that truly changed everything. Third, third reality. God performs the work we are incapable of doing on our own. God performs the work we are incapable of doing on our own. What chance, what chance did the church have against the power of the Roman Empire? None. The Jewish people would find that out not many years after this event when they tried to stand up to Rome and they were crushed and utterly defeated and there was no Jewish state for nearly 2,000 years. But what do we know? Is there a Roman Empire today that continues on? There certainly is not. But there's still a church. 
Is there a Roman Empire that stretches across the whole world with the, the armies that could conquer anywhere they wanted to go and face little resistance? There certainly is not, but there is still a church. Why is that? How is that possible? How is it possible that, that the church could endure and something as great and powerful as the Roman Empire could not? It's because God performs the work we are incapable of doing. Peter is in that cell and he is in a place that he cannot escape from. In fact, we find out that the very night, hours before he is about to be brought out and tried, while he is asleep between two soldiers bound with two chains and <coughs> excuse me, guards at the door, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And gives him a swift hit to the side. Struck him on the side and woke him. One commentator looked at it and said, probably kicked him in the ribs is what happened. God was getting his attention. He is deep in sleep. He's not trembling in fear. He has that calm assurance that God has given him. And in the middle of the night, the angel wakes him up. Hits him on the side. And says it's time to get up. It's time to get up quickly. His chains fall off. Get yourself dressed. And let's follow me. What a great term we see throughout the scriptures. Follow me. In the moment of his desperation, God says to him, follow me. Jesus had already called him one time off the boat. Come and follow me. And here as he is about to be put to death, the angel of the Lord says, come and follow me. He's guided out of the prison, not even realizing what is going on. We're told in verse 9 that he thought he was just seeing a vision of what could be, not what was. He's led out by the first and second guard. He came to the iron gate and it opened for him. He went out along the streets to the place that God wanted him to be and the angel left him. And then, only then, did he realize to himself that that God had sent an angel. He says in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Why? Because God does the work that we can't do on our own. Peter is completely and utterly incapable of getting himself out of this situation. He is completely dependent upon God for whatever happens. And it seems that Peter has resigned himself to that. He is sitting there in the prison. He's, he's not as I think we probably would be. Crying, worried, fearful. He's sleeping. And in that point where he is fully dependent upon God, God brings him out of that prison, past the guards with the chains gone, leads him out to safety. We need to realize that when times come of persecution, we must understand the reality that God is going to do the work. Now, let me tell you that it would be, both, it would be best if we would do that now, if we would understand that now and be fully dependent upon God. But I think many of us 
are still more like Peter was in the garden with the sword than he is sleeping in the prison. We want to try to do it ourselves. We, we want to just try to, to make it happen. Whatever it takes. Whatever we can do under our own strength, we, we want to do that so that, that we got it covered. God, you, you've got important things to do. I'll take care of this one myself. But friends, persecution, when it comes, it brings on that reality that we are fully dependent upon God. Because then we're helpless. If the place you work decides that Christians are no longer welcome, not much you can do about it. You might try to sue them or something like that. Maybe you'll win in court eventually, but When you get bad health news and you realize there's nothing that you can do about it, you've got to become dependent upon Him. And let me tell you, that's harder to do in the crisis than it is if you're preparing yourself for it ahead of time. Peter in the garden, he's in the moment of crisis. Here come the soldiers. Here's Judas. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. I've got to do something. They're going to arrest Jesus. I've got, I got to take a stand. I've got, got to make a decision right now. And he makes the wrong one. He's prepared here to be arrested and to lose his life. So he's sleeping. He's getting his last restful night of sleep. The night Jesus was arrested, he spent all of that time restless outside the court of the high priest. He's there by the fire, and, and he ends up denying Jesus three times because some little girl asked him if she followed him, and he was afraid of her. He didn't sleep much that night. But here, fully dependent upon Christ, he is sleeping between the two guards who will be responsible for carrying him to his trial and putting him to death. Friends, we want to have that understanding, that dependence that, that God performs the work we are incapable of doing on our own before we get to that time. Of doing that now. Of doing that as individuals, realizing that God is the one who does the work. As a church, realizing that we are held up by God and not by our own selves. We are not held up by our efforts. We are held up and sustained by Him. God performs the work we are incapable of doing on our own. Fourth, as we come to verse 12, He realizes where He is. He realizes what's going on. And so he goes to a certain place, the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. He knocks at the door, and this girl named Rhoda comes, and she hears his voice. Most likely, if you can kind of picture it in your mind, this, this woman was probably a, a person of some wealth to have a, a house the size they could gather to pray and and there was most likely a gate, and it would have been this servant girl's responsibility to, to let people in and let people out of the gate. And so when she comes there and she asks who it is and she hears Peter's voice, 
it, it so overwhelms her to hear his voice. It so overwhelms her that she runs back in. And she says, it's Peter. Peter's here. And they say, no, it's, it's not. It's his angel. That would be like us saying, uh, it's his ghost. Kind of a, a Jewish tradition there that each person had a, a guardian angel. And, and so their thought in saying that was that actually Peter's dead. He's been put to death. And that was his ghost. That was his angel. But he continued to knock. And when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. And he motioned them to be quiet and he began to tell them what had happened and he told them to spread this story around and then he left because no doubt that's where he would be looked for when they figured out he wasn't in prison. What do we find here? We find that celebration of God's work is vital to spreading the message. Celebration of God's work. They are amazed. They are joyful when they see him. And his commitment is to tell the story of what God has done and make sure that others hear this story as well. He wanted them to celebrate what God has done because in doing that, it would help to spread His message. How do we know that's true? It's because it's been 2,000 years and we are reading this text this morning as a joyful reminder of what God has done in Christ. That in Christ... God makes a way. In Christ, we have hope in the midst of trial and imprisonment. The church was going to face great persecution. And friends, that has not changed for 2,000 years. We may look at ourselves in our country and recent history and say the church has had it easy. And you're right. The church has certainly had it easy. It has not been difficult to be a Christian. In some parts of our country, it was expected. It was normal. It's what everyone did. But friends, that is changing. That is changing rapidly. People do not claim the name of Christ anymore. Yeah, many will still say that they are Christians. But they don't affirm His Word. This is very much true of people under 50 in our nation. They have no connection to Christ. No connection to the church. One of the reasons is we no longer celebrate what God has done. We no longer share his message. But friends, I want to tell you that in a world of hopelessness, which is what we find, if you look at the things that people try to fill their life with, the money, the substance abuse, the sexual immorality that people try to use to make their lives have meaning, what that tells me is that people are hopeless. And yet here we're reminded that when we celebrate what God has done, it helps to spread His message. 
When we as Christians act like that, that God's not really done anything for us, He's not really accomplished anything in our life, He's not really given us anything, He's not really saved us, we just kind of go through life treading water and we, we do so as, as sort of like Christians, but it doesn't mean anything to us. Friends, that does not help spread His message. People are not looking for something slightly better than what they already have. Friends, the message we have is not slightly better than this messed up world. The message we have is that the God of all creation loved us even though we were far from Him, came and dwelt with us, and offers us life everlasting. Life both now and in the life ahead. Eternal life, eternal joy now and in the life ahead. Friends, that is something radically different than what the world is selling. But unless we are celebrating what God has done, we will not effectively spread the message because it will sound like we're offering them something slightly better. Or if we're honest, it'll sound like we're, we're offering them a morality that's only slightly better. Because the things they're filling their lives with, at least it gives them some temporary high, some, some temporary solace from everything that's happening in life. And we tell them, oh, by the way, those things are bad. Money, the love of it's the root of all evil. You don't go and, and get drunk and get high. That, the, that our, our book says that you should be in a monogamous relationship with one person that's supposed to last the entirety of your life. And they're saying, wait, I'm using these things to, to, to get me through the day. What am I supposed to put in its place? And it's because we don't celebrate what God is doing and what God has done. And that there is joy in serving Him and joy in following Him. Joy that lasts our entire life. But when we celebrate what he has done as they do here, it's a message that must be spread. Fifth, those who stand against the Lord will not do so forever. Verse 18 says, Now day, daylight came, light is shone on the issue, and there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. In other words, there was great disturbance over what had come become a Peter. Why? Because in Roman law, if you lose a prisoner, you then must accept his fate. If he was supposed to get a beating, you're going to take his beating. If he was going to lose something, now you are going to lose it. And in this situation, if he was going to die, then you must die. Herod searched for him and did not find him. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. The soldiers that were charged with guarding him die because Peter has escaped. But it goes further than that. Herod was angry, we're told, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And came, they came to him with one accord. And they want to have peace with him. In other words, they, they are dependent upon him. They don't really like him. 
But they're dependent upon him, so they want to have peace. And so they, they go and agree on peace. And part of that peace gives us what we get in verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod took his royal robes, and he took a seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. We get this picture. He, he seats himself high and lifted up, and he begins to speak to them with flowery words. And their response. Remember, they're just trying to make him happy. And so how do they respond? The voice of God and not of a man. His words were so beautiful and so wonderful, even if they weren't. They set him up as God. And Herod certainly would not want to lose such a a lofty title. And yet immediately we're told, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He didn't get sick for a while. God punished him. And he died. And we're told the worms ate him and he breathed his last. The reality that we need to remember in the face of persecution is that those who stand against the Lord will not do so forever. If you look around at those who have persecuted the church, those who continue to persecute the church, even today, guess what? They can't do so forever. Because one day, whether it's today or whether it is many years from now, God is going to require their life. And they will stand in judgment for persecuting God's people. God will cut them down. No matter how long they are able to stay in power, no matter how long they are able to torment God's people, God will strike them down. It's one of the reasons why we should not fear them. Because we have something in Christ that can never be taken away from us. We have eternal life that means we are with Him forever. And those who persecute God's church, one of two things will happen to them. They will either be like Paul, who God will meet in a place and call them to Himself, and they will become great proponents of the church instead of persecutors of the church. Or God will strike them down. And they will die. And then he, the one who truly they have been persecuting, will stand in judgment over them. And guess what? On that last day, we will be there with him. Those who he has persecuted. Those who King Herod had persecuted. James, who he had struck down, will stand over him in judgment. And there will be justice. And if he, like anyone else who has not turned from his sin, he will receive his just punishment for persecuting God's people. So while persecution is difficult and while persecution requires that we stand, we must also remember that persecution will not last forever. Because God will judge those who persecute His church. 
and they will receive the swift punishment that is due them. So for us, we should not lose hope when we see that coming because we know that Christ will endure. In fact, that brings us to the sixth reality. The word of the Lord remains forever. Look what happens. He is struck down. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, verse 23, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Now you might have expected, as you got to that point in this part of the story, to see that everything fell apart and everyone ran away because they saw there might be consequences for their fate. But what we witness in verse 24 is the Word of God increased and multiplied. See, that's why it is so foolish for the ungodly to take joy in persecution. Because throughout all of history, when the church has been persecuted, the church has multiplied. When God's Word has been persecuted... The Word of God has increased and multiplied. It doesn't have the effect they think it will. Friends, look at what has happened in China as they have persecuted the church for generations now. It's thought there may be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Now how can this be? When churches are toppled. When those who won't proclaim the approved religion of the state are arrested. How could it be that the church grows? It's because God grows His church during times of hardship and persecution. In times of difficulty and sorrow, God multiplies His church. In fact, what do we see happen from there? And Barnabas, verse 25, and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name was Mark. What do we know happens after this? They go. After this persecution has happened, Paul and Barnabas begin to preach the word as they travel around the world. Out of this persecution, Paul starts his missionary work in places that have never heard. Now that doesn't make sense, right? You've seen that, that it could have consequences to, to preach about Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and those places in that region. And yet Paul will go on missionary journeys that take him not to places that should be more friendly to him, but places that are more hostile as he travels to pagan lands where they have never heard. And yet he goes boldly, and it comes out of this persecution where James is killed and Peter is arrested. Why? Because the word of the Lord remains forever. Friends, that's the great confidence we have. That no matter what happens, the word of the Lord remains forever. No, ma no matter what comes about, no matter the trials that we have, the word of the Lord remains forever. No matter if, if all the Bibles are rounded up and burned, if the Christians are imprisoned and silenced, if the church doors are barred shut, the word of the Lord remains forever. That is our great hope and the Lord's great promise. So I would ask you this then today. Have you prepared yourself for persecution?
Have you prepared your heart for persecution? Are you ready if that happens? You don't think it could happen? You think we've got religious freedom? Friends, five out of nine people in Washington get to decide if you have religious freedom. You have a, we have, we have a, a secular government that has no joy in religious freedom. That will not promote religious freedom. That are not promoters of religious freedom. That does not exist. That we do not have that. So what you need to understand is that is coming. There are places now where if you are openly a Christian and hold to a biblical worldview, they're not going to hire you to be a school teacher. They're not going to hire you to work for the government. They're going to protest outside of your business or restaurant. That is a reality in this country. So the question is, when that comes to Burke, Caldwell, Catawba, Alexander County, where you live, is your heart prepared for that? Are you prepared not to compromise the truth if it costs you something? The reality is that is coming. It's upon us. It's close. And I would not be doing my job if I did not ask you that question. Is your heart prepared for it? If when the next event happens in our world and the government says, you know, probably be best if churches closed. It would help to stop the spread of whatever it was. Are you ready to show up? There's places now, there's churches now, we've, we've come back well in North Carolina, but there's places now where you're not going to gather. There's a pastor in Canada still sitting in jail today. Been there for a long time. Because he said, our church is going to gather. When that comes here, are you ready for what it means? There's plenty of churches who are very ready, I'll tell you that. Because they're not going to have to change anything to be compliant with what they're told to do. But if we use this book, it's not going to work well. If we use this book, it's not going to be popular. If we use this book, it says that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And it doesn't matter what the government says or Hollywood says or society says. The question is, are you ready? Have you prepared your heart that I'm going to stand here no matter what. Here's the final thought. How can our hearts be prepared? It's because no matter what, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, those who follow Christ live forever. See, that's why Peter could sleep that night. Because he'd gone from the guy in the garden who fell asleep praying, who was scared. He'd gone to the guy who could sleep the night before his execution because he had that calm assurance that no matter what occurred that next day, 
he would live forever with Christ. If the angel let him out of prison, let him escape, he'd live forever with Christ. And if Herod came and took his life, he couldn't take it because his life already belonged to Christ. Have you prepared your heart for what is to come? And if not, friends, plead with the Lord. Plead with Him now to prepare you for what may very well be ahead. Let's pray together. God, we ask this morning that through Your Word You would prepare our heart That when the hardship comes and the difficulties come, and God, we have no reason to believe they won't come, that our hearts will be prepared to follow you. God, we trust in you this morning. That you can do the things we cannot do. That when we pray, we are doing the greater work you have called us to. And you, you do the work that we are incapable of doing on our own. God, we just ask that you would encourage our hearts. Prepare our heart for whatever is ahead in this life. Prepare our hearts to serve you, to follow you. God, you have been gracious unto us in calling us to yourself and in saving us through the power of Christ. So God, we just ask that we would be prepared to be obedient to you no matter the cost because you alone are worthy of our obedience. God, we pray that you would lead and guide us. Lead and guide us through this time. Prepare our hearts for what you have ahead. We pray this in Christ's name. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing a final song this morning. As we sing this song, would you, would you cry out to God, God, prepare my heart for whatever is ahead. Whether the road is easy or difficult, whether I, I see persecution or never experience it, God, prepare me for what you have ahead for me. Would you pray that prayer? Would you pray, God, prepare my heart as we sing this song? Behind your regrets and mistakes 
that as you go, that you would pray to God to prepare your heart for whatever is ahead. Friends, we, we all go through difficulties and trials, even if it's not persecution, just, just the hardships of life, of loss, of the difficulties we face. Just pray, because He will do that. He will prepare you for what is ahead. He gives you the strength we need for day to day. So pray, God, prepare my heart for what is ahead. Whatever comes, God, I, I want to I I obey you. I want to serve you well in whatever comes. I want to let whatever comes in my life be a demonstration of your goodness, and your mercy and grace. God, prepare my heart. Friends, as we go, I, I hope that'll be your prayer. God, prepare me for what you have for me. Because, friends, he's got great things for us. He is going to do exceedingly great things in our midst. We need to be prepared for it. Let's pray this morning, and we'll be dismissed as we pray, or when we finish praying, we'll go to Sunday school. If you're an adult, hope you'll stay with us in here, and youth and kids in your classes. So let's, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. God, lead and guide us as we go. Use us for your kingdom. God, God, prepare our hearts for what is ahead. We want to serve you well. We want to follow you well. 
And so lead and guide us as we go. We thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. And we pray this morning in his holy and precious name. Amen.